welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Good morning. Welcome to Oak Hills. Good to be together. I'm a special moment. This is my grandma's Bible. Uh, we were reading out of, uh, wanted to read out of the 1984 edition of the NIV. And actually, as we get into our passage this morning and do something a little different, uh, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes uh, right where you're at. And um, as I read these words, I I invite you um, just to see Jesus and hear Jesus speaking these words to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And as you hear those words, I invite you to think of that thing that is troubling your heart. That one personal, private, unique, tangible thing. Maybe if it helps, just look at it in your hand. And this might be goofy, but if it's helpful, look at it in your hand and just close your fist around. Just hold it. Hold it, because I want that to be at the forefront of your attention as we dive into these words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up the space in our hearts. That you would make your way past our defenses, past our fears. that you would create in this room uh, the safety for us to open up that door, that cupboard, that hidden place in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits where we guard that thing, that gnawing, troubling thing. And we invite you to do your work there this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are coming to the end of our Choose Joy series that we've been in over the past six weeks or so. It's a series that was inspired by the question, how do we find and maintain joy in a world so full 
of trouble, in a life so full of trouble. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about some of the different choices that we need to make in order to cultivate joy in our life. We've talked about you know, choosing to notice uh, versus hurrying or uh, choosing to grieve over cynical scoffing or uh, thinking over complaining. Last week, uh, Mike talked to us about abiding with Christ rather than disconnecting and living isolated and detached from him. And these are all great disciplines, and I'm convinced that if we regularly incorporate them into our lives, we would almost see an immediate uptick in our experience of real, tangible joy. And maybe already you've played around with some of these choices and and you've experienced it uh, already. And, and, And now we are arriving at the end with our final choice of trusting versus worrying. And as I was kind of thinking through this topic this week, it occurred to me that it feels like finally now here at the end, we are arriving at this initial question. How do we find lasting joy in the midst of a troubling world, in the midst of a troubling life? I don't know about you, but when I was wrestling with this question for myself in my own life, I, I, I don't necessarily mean the general kind of trouble. I mean, there is, there is definitely general trouble out there. There is stuff like the war, Ukraine, and Israel, you know, pick your place. There the effects of climate change, uh, the trouble in Washington, the trouble at the border, the rising cost of living, the rising cost of housing, the trouble in our schools. These are big things. These are big issues. They affect thousands, millions, billions of people. And they can cause us to worry and have anxiety and they can steal our joy, of course. But they are, in a sense, disconnected from us. Like, you know, the places mentioned, for most of us, they're just dots on a map. The faces of the people affected, they are, by and large, nameless to us. And I don't say that, it's not that we're not affected by them. Of course we are. Of course, this kind of trouble gets in the way of our ability to experience joy. They cause worry. They cause anxiety because of what might happen to us as more ripple effect effects from these troubles hit our lives. But in the end, we are, in fact, far from the epicenter of the ripples that we are feeling. And so, yes, our hearts are troubled by the war and the economy. But it's more the idea of them than the reality of them. They are a more general kind of trouble to our heart. But when I wrestle with the sustainability of joy in a troubling world, it's more the other kind of trouble that actually, in the end, really stands in the way. This kind of trouble that worries our hearts is not far away. 
It's not nameless or faceless. It's not impersonal or distant. Actually, it is a trouble that we are standing in the very center of. This trouble is not hypothetical. You know, something that might happen. But it's actually real. Situations that are happening. This kind of trouble isn't general. That is kind of happening to everyone. But it is very particular to me. It's very particular to you. These kind of particular troubles. It's, it's not that they're more important than the big, you know, general ones. Uh, you know, the war, the economy. Uh, in fact... They're actually, we're actually kind of tempted to dismiss our particular troubles because in comparison to the big ones, I mean, they, well, they're not that big of a deal. They might seem unimportant. At least not from an objective, external perspective. You know how, like in the superhero movies, you know, where the superhero and the supervillain are fighting each other, and they're in, the, they're, they're in this cosmic clash of, you know, ultimate good against ultimate evil, and the, 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 the fate of the universe is in the balance of this one battle, and they're fighting each other, and they're throwing each other through buildings, and, and you know, throwing cars at each other, and just wrecking entire metropolitan, like, areas, just in this big clash of super massive power individuals and it all seems very reasonable heroic even this is man we've got to fight this evil whoever it might be until of course you realize that someone lives and works in those buildings that are being destroyed those storefronts that the people are getting thrown through and completely destroyed that car that the superhero just through at the supervillain. Well, that car actually belonged to someone. They, like, they saved money for that car. That was their way to get to work, right? That was a way to get their kids to school. Sometimes that's what our troubles can feel like, right? Like our troubles, they're, they're like acceptable collateral damage in the grand cosmic battle between the supreme forces that are far from us, as if we were just like... NPCs and the grand video game of life. And so sometimes we, we, we just kind of don't think about them, our particular troubles. We try to dismiss them. We try to treat them as unimportant, to shove them to the back of our consciousness as we try to kind of soldier on in the grand battle scheme of things. Sometimes we'll even emphasize the big one, the big troubles, as a way to kind of hide from the actual real troubles that are actually are occupying our mind and making joy unsustainable in our life. And I'm not saying that we should ignore the big issues out there or pretend that they don't matter, because of course they do. It's just that today, as we finish out this series with our last contrasting choice, the choice between trusting and worrying, I, I want you to think about that, that, that thing. That thing that only you know about. That only you are carrying. That one tangible right in your face thing 
that is troubling you, really. The trouble that you are actually in. Because that's what the disciples were facing in this passage. Uh, I know it may not seem like that to us, because uh, when we look at this scene from our historical point of view, we know that this is, this is the battle, right? The moment where the grand battle between God and his enemies is about to be waged. From our point of view, this moment might seem like the, well, it's like the quintessential example of one of those big cosmic troubles. But for them, from their perspective, well, they're staring down the impending death of a friend, of the leader of this new movement that they had joined, of the guy for whose sake they had left everything in life. They had put all of their hopes into this guy who is now telling them that he's about to be killed. This is present real-time stress. This is not hypothetical trouble on the other side of the world. This is right in their face. In life, we do actually face and experience troubles. Like, they're not all first world problems, as some preacher would like us to think. Even in our nice little suburb life, there is loneliness and loss. We have trouble in relationships. Our marriage struggles. Our loved ones get sick. We encounter conflict at work or in the neighborhood. Our finances get strained. There is tragedy in our family. Our health suffers. The wounds from our childhood come back to wreak havoc in our psyche. Our dog dies. Our dream job goes to someone else. Our business fails. These aren't pretend troubles. These are real troubles. Troubles, frankly, that we share with everyone who lives and has lived on the face of the earth. In these kinds of troubles, we stand in solidarity with all of humanity that lives in this broken and fallen world. See, sometimes in religious circles like ours, uh, you know, this, there can be this pressure to kind of minimize or dismiss the trouble that we're in, to uh, pretend it's really not that bad, oh, other people have it much worse, or something like that. But that is not, that's not the Jesus way. Jesus acknowledged to his followers that in this world, you will have trouble, says in John 16. All throughout the Bible, the authors of scripture, they are brutally honest, <laughs> brutally honest, with the real, actual trouble that they face in life. In this fallen world where shalom has been disrupted, trouble is normal. It is real. Which, frankly, may seem like a death sentence to our joy, at least the sustainable, ongoing kind of joy. But it isn't. The Apostle Paul in his writings was always honest and transparent about the real-life, real-world trouble that he and his friends were perpetually in. Um, 
And yet he lived with joy. So even though he was hard-pressed on every side and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, as he says in 2 Corinthians, he still would say, in all our troubles, still my joy knows no bounds. The author of Hebrews writes how his readers had suffered with those in prisons, but yet were able to joyfully accept the confiscation of their property. Peter reflected how the folks in the early church could greatly rejoice even though they were suffering all kinds of trials. Trouble in life is real. It is normal. But it only gets in the way of our joy if we let it trouble our heart. Do not let your heart be troubled, Jesus says. And if you just left it at that, um, well, that would be like an impossible saying. I have this picture. I, you guys know my brain works in weird ways. I can't even put this into words quite. But you know when you're at the dinner table and somebody reaches over and spills like a full glass of whatever. And, it, and then all of a sudden, like it's right there and you're, it's in, you know, and all of a sudden you're in this situation of you're trying to hold the liquid from flowing over, falling in your lap, going in the crack, you know, the crack in the, in the, in the eve of the table where the, the thing and, and it's impossible. Like, right, no matter what you do, the water seeps through your, that's the picture I have, <laughs> sorry, um, that's the picture I have of Jesus just saying, well, don't let your heart be troubled, and leaving it at that. Okay! <clears throat> but of course, he doesn't leave it at just that. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I have been stuck on the back half of this verse all week long. All week long I've been rattling it around in my brain. With this question, why did Jesus add the trust also in me part? Like why did he have to specify that for the disciples. I mean, isn't Jesus God? Doesn't Jesus realize he's God? And so, well, if Jesus is God, isn't it like technically if you trust in God, isn't that, doesn't, like, isn't trusting in Jesus included under the banner of trusting in God? So it like, then why trust also in me? I've been wrestling with that, and, 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 and of course, I don't particularly know why he says that. The text doesn't say. But as I was sitting there, and even as I stand here now with my own circumstance threatening to trouble my heart, I realized why he needs to say that to me. You see, just like we can all get caught up worrying about the big distance 
problems of the world, you know, the war, the economy and such, problems that are so big and so distant that they become unreal, you know, unreal other than the worry and the anxiety that they cause. Uh, we can do that with God sometimes too. Have you noticed? We can begin to see God as just this big God that handles big problems. We'll talk about the God who is in control of everything. So we don't ever have to worry. It's what in Christian circles is known as the Sunday school answer. Sunday school answers are answers that are technically correct, but are so broad and impersonal as to have little or no meaning specifically for us which there is nothing wrong with Sunday school answers. Again, they are the right answers. They are correct answers. They are important answers. We should live by Sunday school answers. What's wrong with Sunday school answer isn't the answer itself. It's our attitude towards the answer. Because Sunday school answers are by definition broad and far-reaching. They can very easily be held at arm's length and be considered irrelevant for, for this, for our present situation. Sunday school answers are especially dangerous to those of us who have grown up in the religious world, in religious circles, spent a lot of time at church, because we're the ones most likely to know all of the Sunday school answers. And we're also the most, the most likely to dismiss them as irrelevant. It's just the thing you say. And when I think about the disciples, I recognize they're all religious guys, right? They had grown up immersed in a religious context with religious rules, with religious sayings and platitudes that are thrown around like meaningless bumper stickers are today. And I'm guessing that they probably knew all of what would have been the Jewish versions of the Sunday school answer. And at the top of the Sunday school answer list is this phrase, trust God, right? What do you do when you're scared? Trust God. What do you do when things are crazy around you? Trust God. What do you do when the polar ice caps are melting? Trust God, you know, it's the right answer. So why isn't it enough? And frankly, maybe it is enough for the war in Ukraine, for the war in Israel, for the economy, for the upcoming elections. Maybe it is enough when it comes to Godzilla and the monsters on TV. But the trouble with leaving it at trust God is that the concept of God is so broad, infinite, really, that if we're not careful, we can begin to create a picture or an image of God that is intangible and obscure, an image of God that isn't even accurate. There's so much wiggle room under this heading of God that when it comes to the very specific trouble in our hand, the idea of trusting this broad, infinite God. Well, it just kind of begins to mean absolutely nothing. And so it is of no comfort to us in our time 
of trouble. And it leaves us helpless against the onslaught that troubles our hearts and makes joy unsustainable. Trust God sounds nice, is the right answer, but a lot of times for us specifically, trust God doesn't mean anything. But there's something different, at least for me, at least this week. There's something different to have Jesus look me in the eye and say, trust in me. Trust in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. And with that, Jesus is telling his friends who are wrestling with the very real idea that he is about to be killed. He's saying, don't just trust this vague idea of a being that you've heard about and who has been misrepresented by the religious authorities and the political leaders throughout history. Jesus is saying, trust me, the guy you've walked with, the guy you've listened to, the guy you've watched. Trust the guy you know personally. You know how I think. You know how I act. You know how I feel about things. Trust in God. Yes, good. But trust the version of God that you see in me. You see, for centuries, people have created their own picture of God, the creator. We have all done it. And we've described God to each other over and over again. And sometimes, sometimes we do it with this really, really pure motive of trying to help each other grow closer to our creator. Sometimes, sometimes we've done it with really nefarious purposes of manipulating and controlling one another. But at the end of the day, good motives or bad, all of our descriptions of God to each other are limited small beings trying to describe the unlimited infinite being. And Jesus, well, in Jesus we have God describing himself to us. Jesus is God describing himself to us. Jesus goes on to, to, this comes up in this little conversation between Jesus and the disciples. Verse 8, uh, Philip said, okay, we're freaking out. Uh, that, he didn't say that, those are my words. Yeah, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Oh, that'll make me feel better. Again, my words, not Philip's. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? I mean, even after I've been among you for such a long time, I mean, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Jesus is like, show you the Father? What do you think you've been looking at for the last three years? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1, verse 15. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, 
And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All his fullness dwell in Jesus. You see, trusting God wouldn't help your heart not be troubled if you thought that somehow God doesn't care about the little troubles of your life, that he was apathetic or unmoved by your present situation. It wouldn't help to trust in God if you think that God is capable of leaving you and your troubles as kind of like acceptable collateral damage in the pursuit of his grander will. It wouldn't help to trust God if you thought that somehow death was the one thing that even God couldn't bring you back from. It wouldn't help to trust God if you thought that God was just angry at humanity all the time and just so fed up that it's finally gotten to the point where he's just going to lay waste to everything because after all, we all deserve it. I mean, if that's what we think about God, well, then trusting him doesn't bring joy. Trusting him is terrifying. But whatever we think about God. We have to run that by what we know about Jesus. There is nothing true about God that isn't true about Jesus. Jesus is the standard by which all of our theology must be graded. Theologian Greg Boyd says it this way in his book, Is God to Blame? He writes, The wholeness and vibrancy of our relationship with God depends on letting God define himself for us in Christ. We should not try to define God outside of or alongside of Jesus Christ. Christ is our center. And everything life in life must be viewed in relation to him. The truth about God revealed in Jesus Christ is the foundation for all wholeness. Jesus' friends were about to endure the trouble of watching their hope literally die. But as gruesome and as final as that may seem, Jesus is telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. You know me. You know what I can do. Trust that and watch me work. So back to where we started today. What's troubling you today? Right now. Really. What is the real personal situation that you or someone you love is facing? Take it out. Look at it again. And listen to Jesus' words one more time. Not as something he said long ago to the 12 apostles, but something he is saying to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus' invitation to us is not simply to release our circumstance to the universe and whatever may come. Jesus is inviting you to take what you know about him, what you know about what, uh, how he works, the stuff that Jesus does. He makes wines for wedding reception. He speaks truth into stale religion. He sits and makes conversations with outsiders. He knows everything about you without judging you. He makes lame beggars walk. He takes a few fish and some bread and feeds 5,000 people. He challenges the powers that be. He stands up to injustice. He speaks truth whether people want to hear it or not. He forgives people even when they've been caught red-handed. He gives sight to the blind. He frees people from destructive behavior patterns. He gives life to the full, to those who follow his ways. He hears uh, the cries of the hurting. He cries with those who mourn. He raises the dead. He shares his table with messed up, screwed up people. He washes his servants' feet. He lays down his life for his friends. And having laid it down, he takes it back up again. That is what Jesus does. And his invitation to believe in him with this thing that is troubling your heart, it's an invitation to, to, to trust him. It's his invitation for you to sit at the edge of your seat, lean forward, and watch him do what he does. Would you bow your heads with me? There's a possibility that here this morning um, that this idea of trusting Jesus is a brand new concept for you. That that is actually the difference between a stale religion, a empty practice of showing up to church, an empty allegiance to some religious ideology. And the experience of lasting, perpetual, ongoing joy no matter what the circumstances are. And so the way I just want to invite you to do this, there's, we've set up some prayer walls on the side here. Uh, there's a little piece of paper you can write on. And um, so the invitation is to take that thing, that thing that is just troubling you. And then go and spend some time with Jesus and write out specifically what you want him to do. What you're trusting him to do in that situation. In addition to that, we've got some folks uh, on the sides here that are uh, willing to, or they're actually, they want to pray with you for that thing. Sometimes as we're, as we're dealing with trouble, it's hard for us to even see how Jesus can do anything in this mess. And so it's, it's really helpful in those times to come with somebody and say, here's Here's the trouble I'm in. I don't see how Jesus is going to work this out. And sometimes Jesus 
uses other people to speak into our lives in those moments of what Jesus can do in this situation that seems so impossible. And so it might be freaky or weird or, or nerve-wracking, but I just invite you to take the moment and go and just have somebody pray with you for this specific situation that only you know about. And use this time to just say, okay, Jesus, you asked me to trust you with this. I am going to trust you to do what you do. There's an opportunity for us here, I think. There's an opportunity for us to open that hidden cupboard with that one thing that just keeps us limping and to present it to Jesus and ask him to do what he does there. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move through our family today and that uh, you would just touch our hearts and that you would show us what trusting Jesus actually means and give us the, the steps to pursue that. And Jesus, we invite you to do what you do in our lives today.